0: You can also check us out online by going to ouravenuechurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Book of Matthew, chapter 16. We're going to get there in just a moment before it comes up on the screen. We are in this series called Made, where we're looking at our identity um, and how we're wired, how we're created, um, how we're to live, how we present ourselves. And we looked last week at this um, idea of image and identity. And they're very similar, but they're also very different in that when you look in, in culture and marketing, um, image is what people think about you when they hear your name. Um, it's the emotion, it's the feeling, it's the opinion that they have of you, the viewpoint that they have of you. That's, that's the image. And identity is really um, what we get to control, and that's how we present ourselves to help create that image, that desired image that we want people to have for us. And we look in Scripture, and the very beginning of the Bible tells that we are made in whose image? In God's image, that we are made in His image. So our image is already set. And so what culture says is is that we are to, to build an identity to establish an image, but scripture says that the image has already been established and we build our identity on that established image. And so we're going to look at, at at Matthew chapter 16 and understanding that, that this image we're created in is unchanging because the one whose image we are created in is also unchanging. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus has just performed a few miracles and um, other religious leaders are demanding a sign to prove his authority. And he has a conversation with his apostles. And he says, When Jesus came to the re- region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this question Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, imagine this conversation. Um, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets that has in a sense been brought back to earth, um, that he's been resurrected. So they're saying that that you are, people are saying that you're all these other things. You could be your cousin. You could be another one of the prophets. You could be Elijah. Because that's what people are saying. They're not not calling him what Peter is about to call him. And then he asked them, Okay, even more importantly, not who people say that I am, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter says, Lord, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, or the word there is Petra, and upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Let's pray for the word. Father, I come to you this morning and God, I pray that it would be your words, not mine. Um, God, your word says in Isaiah that it goes out and does exactly what it's supposed to. Um, what you want it to, not what we want it to. And so God, I pray there would be no manipulation personally um, within our hearts Um what we want it to do, but God, you would direct the word to, our, um, to the areas of our life that need to be shaped into your image. And so God, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to receive your word um, justly in Jesus' name, amen. And so there's this two-way conversation of identity taking place. Both of, of who Jesus is said to be and also of who he is, that Jesus is said to be John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the other prophets. But, but he is actually the Messiah. And this is the first time in Matthew that, that this is communicated by someone other than an angel and saying that Jesus is the Messiah. No one had called him a Messiah at this point. Uh, he had performed miracles, he had been teaching, and so he was considered a, a prophet and a teacher, a man of God, but not necessarily the Messiah or the Son of God. And, and we also see this conversation of, of who Simon is thought to be. And, and, and Simon Peter had kind of gotten a reputation of being hard-nosed, being stubborn, uh, being the one to speak first and think last, right? He's the guy, I had, a, I had a youth pastor at one time. He was, he was always talking before he was thinking. Um, and we would have this phrase, we'd be like, Chris, taste your words, right? Taste your words before you let them out. And so Peter was that guy. So he kind of had this reputation. Of, of who he was, but Jesus saw beyond the reputation of, of who he is and who he was and who he could be, and he said that you are the rock, and that rock is not because of anything that was significant in Peter, but it was the significance of the revelation that, G, that Peter had of Jesus, and, and who we are said to be, now think about for you and I, who we are said to be and who we really are can oftentimes be different. And, and who we are thought to be and who we are meant to be can oftentimes be very different. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves um, pattering who we want to be after other things around us. And so I want you in this moment right now, I want you to think back to the very first time that you had this thought. Maybe it was in elementary school, middle school, high school, as a young adult. Maybe in your middle life, you're like, ah, I got to make some changes, and I want to be like, I want you to think about, about an individual. I want you to think about a person, or I want you to think about a paradigm that you said, I want to be like him, her, that. Or maybe it's the flip side, and you think, I don't want to be like him, her, that. I want to be the complete opposite. I want to, and what, what was that? Who was that? And just kind of humorously thinking about like the first time I remember kind of having that thought process in my own world was, was in fifth and sixth grade when I started getting into rap music. And it's, it's, it's very humorous, but I would go to the flea market and I would buy all the Raiders material that I could because that's what like all the Dr. Dre and Snoop all the West Coast gangsters war and so if I was going to be a gangster in Hickville I had to represent right and so they were rapping about the streets and I lived in backroads right but I thought if I can just present the image if I can know the lingo that can become my identity thank god I grew out of it some uh, right? Some, but we joke about, but then there's also individuals in our life that we look and, or, or things in life that we think, I want to pattern my life after that. And these become lenses that we look through the world at and we want to see ourselves through those lenses. And so I want us to, to kind of come with this thought is that the lenses that we see through, the lenses we see through often become the patterns that we use to shape our identity, how we see the world what we look through these these paradigms these perspectives often become the patterns in which we shape our identity. And I want to talk about three lenses today. I want to talk about the, the, the lens of culture, and not just the culture in, in a broad sense, but then also the cultures that we find ourselves in, the, the micro-cultures. And I also want to talk about the lens of comparison that we put on when we're looking at those around us and closest to us. But then lastly, as we kind of come to the conclusion of this, I, I want us to put on the lens of Christ. And see the world, see ourselves, see him through his lens. And we look at this culture. I did a series back in 2022 called Thriving in Babylon. And it was about the nation of Israel coming under the captivity of Babylon because of their disregard of the things of God. Because of their rebellion, God, in a sense, turned them over to the kingdom of Babylon to come under um, their authority to help shape, to, to help soften their hearts back to the things of God. And, and if you want to go back and listen to those, those are on our podcast. And I'll talk a little bit more in depth about how do we stand within culture when it's trying to, you know, to, to name us and claim us and tame us. But, but we see when Nebuchadnezzar um, went into Israel and begin taking some of the young nobles, the strongest, the wealthiest, the wisest. This is actually what it says in Daniel 1.4. It says, select only the strong, the healthy, the good-looking, I would have been safe. Um, He says, make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning. They're gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. And what he's saying, look, they need to get like... soaked in Babylonian culture. They need to learn our systems, our values. And when it says this, that they learned the literature and the language, it's not just they were reading stories. When you read the like deep into it, they're, they're learning spells and incantations. And these are, are followers of God. And they're learning these things. But as you read on in the story of Daniel, they do not allow the outward things of culture to change who they are on the inside. Because even their name was changed. And I'm not just talking about worldly culture. That's, that's at the center of everything. But, but every culture that you find yourself in has a set of standards, has a set of values, has systems. And, and so if you think about in a micro sense the different cultures that, that you're a part of, we have a culture here at Avenue Church that we're building right? And so as you become a part of Avenue Church, as you start serving and you're in small groups and and you're discipled and it's like we have a culture here based on the commands and the word of God. But then you go to work, there's also a work culture, right? There are work cultures that are great to be a part of. But then there are also work cultures that are not so great to be a part of. And if you think about those different cultures, when you have found yourself in an unhealthy culture with the wrong values, what starts happening to you? You start taking on Some of those characteristics, some of those values, not intentionally, right? Or if you're in the right culture, you start taking those on as well. We also find these cultures in our families. We find these cultures um, in in our community. And all these different cultures play into our identity. You know, when, when you meet someone from the south and you're from the north, what's one of the first things you pick up? the accent, or if you're from the south and you meet someone from the north, you pick up, and that's part of the culture and becomes part of our identity, and it, it, it doesn't happen all at once. One of my pastors that I served under for a while was, was from Ohio, and when he moved to Adamsville, Tennessee, one stoplight, it's now becoming an Amish community. That tells you how country it is, that the Amish are moving out of their crowded communities to my community, okay, okay? And so he moved from Ohio to Tennessee, and he had a northern Ohioan accent. But after eight, nine years, when he would go back and visit his family in Ohio, guess what they started to say about him? They started to make fun of his accent. It doesn't happen overnight. And, and I, and I, and I want to show you a picture of, um, don't put it up just yet, I want to show you a picture of probably one of the... Um, craziest transformations. I'm like, I love watching the NBA. And one of the craziest transformations, and this is just an outward change. I don't know this gentleman's heart. I don't know his character, but I remember when he first came in the league, what he looked like. And this is a picture of a gentleman, he plays for Utah now, but his name's Jordan Clarkson. Um, This is him 10 years ago when he first came into the league. Um, he played college ball. Uh, played. He's from Texas originally. played for the Lakers. Then he was with Cleveland and Utah, Toronto. Now he's back with Utah. Um, Ten years later, this is Jordan. Whoa, right? <laughs> it's like the first time I saw him, I was like, wait, is that, the, is that the same guy? Now, what has happened is, go back to the first picture. What I think is that how he's presenting himself now was a part of the culture that he was a part of, the teams he was a part of, what was accepted, what wasn't accepted. Fast forward 10 years, and we have Jordan now, and, and the culture that is surrounding him is a little bit different, and so he begins to take on part of the culture, and that is an outward transformation, and it didn't, you know, I hope he didn't get all those tattoos overnight. Um, that's painful, Right. Uh, But things like this happen without us knowing it. And so when you look at our culture, there are all these different things within culture that affect our identity. It's sexual identity, gender identity, financial identity, political identity, racial identity, denominational identity. Um, And not all these things are bad we're trying to build a healthy culture. But I know that there are also some churches that have a unhealthy culture. And I've known individuals that, that go into these church cultures that may be unhealthy. And even though God is at the center, they're, they've got some things off center and polarized. When we start polarizing any one of these things, that's when it gets unhealthy. These Our facets, and we'll talk about this next week, these are facets of our identity, but we have to be careful that they don't become the foundation of our identity, either one of these things. It's the lens of culture. Let's talk about the lens of comparison, and and this isn't new, okay? This isn't new. We think comparison just started happening uh, with the rise of social media. Long before there was social media, people were around other people, Back in the day it was keeping up with the Joneses, okay, generations here right we've got some saying Joneses and some saying Kardashians right it, way back in the day, come on way back in the day it was keeping up with the Joneses now my mother's maiden name was Jones, but I promise you nobody was trying to keep up with them, okay right but today today we look all right it's keeping up with the Kardashians and like where in the world is Kanye all right so we're trying to to, to keep up and and We compare ourselves to them, but what we have access to to compare ourselves to um, is way greater. It used to be we just compared ourselves to the famous people that we knew or the affluent people that we knew. But now we find ourselves comparing ourselves to people that we don't even really know. Through social media, we just see their highlight reel and not their backstory, and we think that's their life, and our life is broken. Our identity is not right because we're not matching their highlight reel, and and these thoughts can come from two different directions, right? These thoughts can come from within, okay? We see, we compare to other people through that lens, our comparison lens, and we try to shift our identity based off what we see. But then we also have those around us that are close to us that like to tell us what they see. And they compare us to what they see. That can come from outside of ourselves, whether it's it's our parents wanting us to be like our siblings. Anybody, right? Or maybe it's our parents wanting us to be like their friends' children. Anybody, or maybe it's our employers saying, why aren't you as good as such and such, so and so? Um. Those voices can come from the outside as well. Maybe it's friends. And let me just say this, like I, I don't want to miss this. Like there's always room for improvement, guys. Okay. We should always be open to accountability. We should always be open um, to, to growing, to correction, to feedback, but not to the point of we begin to change who we are because of someone else's lens. And Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 actually actually talks about this something. Because he's got people comparing him to these other apostles and teachers that are popping up as the church is growing and, and different gifts are being used throughout the church. And, and Paul's writing these letters and people are saying, you know, Paul, Paul like, writes a good game, but when he comes to down, he doesn't really talk a good game. Like he sounds really scary in his writings, but when he comes to town, he's actually a soft and he's not going to follow through. And so he's being compared to all these other apostles and all these other teachers and he's defending his authority. And he says this in verse 12, he says, oh, don't worry, we wouldn't dare say that we are as wonderful as these other men, he says, who tell you how important they are. He says, because they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. And what does he say about that? How what? How what? How ignorant. He says, how ignorant is that? He said, look, we're not going to say we're as good as these other guys. Because the standard that they're using to say how good they are is themselves. And the standard that you're using to say how good they are is themselves. And he says, to measure, and other translations say, to measure yourself by someone else is ignorance. To commend yourself based off what you see in someone else's life is ignorance. But at the same time, to condemn yourself based on what you see in someone else's life is ignorant. And and I love how he ends this chapter. It's a very short chapter in verse 18. It says, when people commend themselves, it doesn't count for much. The important thing is this, is whether or not the Lord commends them. And so we don't compare ourselves to others. So we look through the lens of culture. We have to be careful how we look, how we allow it to shape. We 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 have this lens of comparison that we put on, both from ourselves or other people try to put on our eyes as, as we see us. And to do both of those is, is ignorant. and And it's... To do it fully in and of itself is ignorant. That's why we have to put the third lens on, and that's the lens of Christ. And that's what's happening in this conversation between Jesus and, and his apostles. And it's, it's the conversation. Peter's been getting this reputation, but now Jesus is calling him, you know, the rock. And, and in verse 13, it says that, but when he asked him, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah the son of the living god. One of the reasons I wanted to do this series of identity is because like that's that's the big thing in our culture right now. How do I define me? How do you define me? How do I allow you to define me? How are you going to allow me to define me? Right? It's just a ridiculous argument. And so we ask this question, and we ask it multiple times throughout our life. Remember when my like I was little, they wanted like people ask you like when you're little, what are you going to be when you grow up? Five, six years old, I want to be a bug man because I love stepping on bugs. It's like, if I can do that for the rest of my life, it's so much fun, right? And then when you become a teenager, like, what are you going to do for the rest? And so we, we have all these moments in life where we have to define who we are. Who, who am I? And, and, and that is a great question to ask. And, and when, then, then we get saved. And it's like, well, okay, we, we have to know who our identity is in Christ. And this, we ask ourselves this question, who am I in Christ, And both of those are great questions. But listen to me, we cannot answer either one of those questions, even as good as who am I in Christ, we can't answer that question until we ask the question of of who is Christ in my life. That we cannot answer any of those questions until we decide for ourselves, not who am I, not who am I in Christ, but who is Christ in me. And Peter was able to answer that question, not because of what something had been told to him, not because of a sermon that he had heard, not because of a Bible study alone that he had heard, but because he had received that from the Spirit of God. That he had received, because Jesus has not been told about, Peter had not been told by any person who Jesus was. God the Father revealed that to him. And so we have this statement we can't see ourselves clearly until we see Christ correctly. We can't see ourselves clearly until we see Christ correctly. Who is he to you? Who is he to me? And we have to answer these questions, not just because a pastor told me that, not just because a Sunday school teacher, but but I have fleshed it out in my heart, in my spirit, I have settled it. Is he the Messiah to you? Let's ask some hard questions. Is Christ the Messiah to you, to me? Does he have complete control in your life? And by saying that, can he speak into the areas of his life that he needs to? Put his finger on, to deal with, for you to surrender? Um, And this one is, is our desire for him to be glorified? greater than for ourselves to be known. Is our desire for Christ to be glorified in our life greater than our desire to be known, to know ourselves? That even if we don't fully, listen, I thought I completely understood myself and then I realized I know less about myself than what I thought I knew. because I'm growing, I'm changing. But as I understand who Christ is, that is my foundation. Paul says this in Colossians chapter three. It says, since you have been raised to new life with Christ. So those of us in this room that are following Jesus, we have been raised to new life. He says this, set your realities of heaven Set your sights on the realities of heaven. What's our lens? Is it culture? Is it comparison? No, it's Christ. We set our realities, our sights, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. And then as we do that, all right, then as we do that, then then we begin to think about these things. Think about things of heaven, not things of earth. For when we are saved... When we come into relationship with Christ, we have died to this life. We have died to these cultures. We have died to these comparisons. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life is hidden with Christ. It's in him in God. I found I found this prayer that that really breaks this down and, and, and what I'm wanting us to understand when it comes to looking at our life and culture through the lens of Christ, but more importantly, seeing him. This is a prayer from uh, St. Patrick and it's a long prayer. And this is kind of towards the end of it. And, and this is what it boils down to. He says, um, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of every man who speaks of me, listen, Christ in the eyes that see me, Christ in the ears that hear me. That our entire life is surrounded, is encompassed by Christ. That it's Christ in me, it's Christ before me, behind me, when I sit down, when I lie down, it is Christ. But even this last part, listen, that Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me, that when they think of me, they just don't think of me. They think of Christ in me. That it's Christ in the ears of those who hear me. That when they hear my voice, it's not just my voice that they're hearing. It's not just my words, but it's the nature of Christ that they are hearing. And it's, it's, it's not just my vision, just not my frame, my form, my image that they're seeing in their eyes. But when they see me, they see Christ. Because it's this, and this is the last point I want you to write down. I don't know if it's on the screen, but, but Christ is my life, and Christ is my identity. That Christ is my life, and he is my identity. And I'll read this last verse as I close. In Galatians chapter two, verse 20. And this is Paul speaking. Extremely religious Jew, has a crazy encounter with the resurrected Jesus and his life is completely transformed and he says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body. So I live within the roles of husband, father, pastor, boss, worker. So I live in this body trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not treat this grace of God as meaningless. My old life has been crucified. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and, and listen, church, listen, guys, I, I want us to know who we are. But more importantly, I want us to know who Christ is. And I'm not just talking about Christ that you hear in a sermon. I want us to know Christ intimately, definitely, unwaveringly in our hearts of hearts. Does it mean we're gonna be perfect in everything that we do? Absolutely not. Because when you look at the life of Peter, even though he had this declaration this spirit revelation of who Jesus was, proclaimed it in private. His first opportunity to proclaim it in public, he failed. Like you know Jesus as Jesus is being interrogated and beaten before his crucifixion. is like you're you're one of those, and Peter's response is like, "No, I don't know him." Three times, and he denies Jesus, but that failure was not final because his identity was not set in how good he was or what he accomplished. Because you fast forward to the end of the book of John, Jesus restores him and he experiences unconditional forgiveness in that moment. And then every opportunity that he had to proclaim who Jesus was as the Messiah The son of God, he did it boldly. If we're not careful, we'll allow culture and comparison to let our failures be final. But there was something on the inside of Peter that he had heard from Jesus, that he had heard from his father, identifying who he was because he was able to identify who Christ was. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed in this room, I want us just to take a quick inventory of who Christ is for you like like really not as a church attender but if if given the opportunity for the one who is the messiah to personally ask you who who do you say that I am what would our response be we want to know who we are but more importantly, we need to define who he is in our life. Is he your savior? Is he the one that has given you unconditional love and forgiveness? Have you accepted that? And Paul says this, he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. Have we maybe gotten calloused and conditioned within Christendom and American Christianity that, that, that we oftentimes take this grace as meaningless, and we failed or recognized who Christ really is. And just in another moment of silence, just, just an inventory and conversation between, between you and the one that created you, made in his image. Our identity comes from understanding that image and our identity comes from knowing who Christ is because Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. And if you're here today just, and you would say, you know what? I am far from God. Whether you've been in a relationship and you've walked away like the prodigal son we talked about earlier, or you've never been in a relationship with him, I wanna pray for you that you want to re-acknowledge who Christ is in your life to confess once again and surrender to him i want to pray for you i want to ask you just to just to lift your hand with no one looking around just between you and god in total surrender awesome let me pray for us father i just come to you this morning and god i thank you for your word that it is sharp god that it cuts to the core of who we are and And as we discover who we are through your word, God, it's even more important that we discover who you are, that we proclaim who you are, not just because of what's been said, but because of what you have revealed to our hearts and our spirits. And God, for those in this room that have been um, looking through life through the lens of culture, comparison, they see themselves, they see you, Through those lenses, God, I pray that they're removed in this moment and that we see you rightly for who you are. That we look up, set our sights, as Paul says, on the realities of heaven where Christ is our life. God, for those that lifted their hands, needing a relationship with you this morning, God, I pray that, that out of their mouth and out of their heart that they are confessing that you are Lord that they are asking for forgiveness. And your word says that when we do that, that you are just and righteous to forgive us of our sins. And God, that they're saying that I give you my life and surrender in all things. And God, for the rest of us, that maybe we've been walking with you for a while, that we've taken your grace for granted. We've taken your mercies for granted. God, convict us and reveal to us where you're leading us to. And we thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone says, amen. 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 Amen."